God's grace, that ought to elicit a shout right now and a hand clap of praise right now because had it not been for the grace of God, none of us would be here right now. Amen. Thank you to our brothers for blessing us with your, your gift of song. I, I want to continue as far as this preaching moment is concerned um, on the series of sermons I started the last time I shared with you and it is the sovereign purpose of God, the sovereign purpose of God. We want to focus on Romans chapter 9. And as we focus on Romans chapter 9, we want to look at verses 6 through 13. Verses 6 through 13. Romans chapter 9, verse 6 through 13. And uh, when we talk about really the sovereignty of God, it really helps us to understand as we prepare for a national election that uh, regardless of who is in the White House, God's purpose eventually will come to pass. Uh, no Joe Biden, no Donald Trump, nor anybody else can thwart the purposes of God. And so um, uh, I, I want to kind of keen in on what we're going to deal with as far as today is concerned. Romans chapter 9, starting at verse uh, 6, it reads like this. 
But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I shall come, I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It is said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. I want to preach for the time that is mine. What God has for me, it is for me. Uh, what God has for me, it is for me. Um, in, in today's society across virtual space and technology churches, we uh, may hear this phrase. We may hear a particular word uh, that kind of perks our consciousness and uh, causes our ears to perk up a little bit. And that word is destiny. Destiny. Uh, it falls freely from the lips of preachers who have equated destiny with fame and fortune, with power and prestige, rather than bringing God glory and, and honor. Uh, at the end of the spectrum about destiny, it can be, if you're not careful, somewhat fatalistic. Uh, with that in mind, we come up with an understanding like a soldier's fatalistic image of a bullet that has your name on it, or the moment when your number comes up, or the flowering of a romance that was, quote, meant to be. It, it is often amazing that many of us have a warped understanding of destiny when it comes to God orchestrating our lives to the point that we want to give up the sense of accountability and responsibility. In other words, there are those of us, because we have this word destiny operating in our minds, we tend to say, well, what's going to be is going to be. But when it comes to understanding of living on this side of reality with a sense of purpose, you got to understand that it's never God's desire to control us. God wants to be in relationship with us where we engage in faithful obedience and participate willingly uh, in God's divine plan so that God's kingdom can become a working reality in this world and whereby you and I will become blessed beneficiaries of God's favor and grace. Yet the problem with God's purposes for our lives and the destiny God has designed for us is this preeminent fact. You and I are creatures with the power of choice. The power of choice gives us the ability to accept or disregard what God wants to bring forth in our lives. In other words, beloved, God has more blessings in store for us, more mercy to show towards us, more forgiveness to pardon us, more power to strengthen us, more peace to comfort us, and more joy to satisfy us. Yet we have the tendency, unfortunately, to dismiss and even deny the movement of God in our lives. God wants to do the impossible, work the miraculous, perform the incredible, and achieve the unbelievable. Yet you and I find ourselves living beneath our dignity and taking the grace of God for granted. Nevertheless, one of the struggles with living 
in a broken world because of a sinful humanity is that you and I have to wrestle with what we want versus what God wants to work out on our behalf. We love to recall Romans 8:28, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, for those who are the called according to God's purpose. It is indicative that one cannot realize his or her destiny, achieve his or her purpose, move in his or her calling if she or he is not connected to the God of the universe who gives us health, life, and strength. The problem too many of us have with destiny being defined and purpose proclaimed is a disconnection that it makes about the promises of God being vital and viable in our lives. In other words, too many of us want a destiny that is not connected to God. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is what separates the pretender from the contender. God has already described our destiny and God has already prescribed our purpose, but only when we allow for God to become the one who orders our steps will you and I be able to walk in the fullness of life and live our life more abundantly. Abundant life, eternal life, and spiritual life cannot and will not be accomplished apart from the God who is life and who has the capacity to give us life without diminishing God's life. He has already purposed a great destiny for you and me. God has already selected you and me to be the head and not the tail, to be a lender and not a borrower, to be a giver and not just a taker, to be a victor and not just a victim, to have a breakthrough and not a breakdown. This is already pre-ordered. This is already predestined. This is already predetermined for you and me to be in places we have no business being, doing things we're not really equipped to do and receiving blessings that we know we have not earned. This is because God, in God's sovereignty, has already declared it to be so. In other words, there are some things bestowed upon you and me, not because of anything we have done, but simply because of God's grace and mercy to give us something we know we don't deserve. Now, I know that there are some of you who think you deserve what you have. And I know that there are some of us who think that God ought to be giving me no more. But I need to remind you that whatever blessing you have, whether you consider it to be great or small, you didn't earn it. God gave it simply because God is gracious. But I do know that in and of myself, that if God does not give me anything else, if God does not do anything else for me, God has already done more than I deserve. When you and I think about the sovereignty of God, the fundamental aspect you must appreciate about God's sovereignty is that God is in control of everything that happens in the universe. This means that God has the power to cause all things to work for God's purpose that will bring God glory. However, God's choice leaves room for you and I to decide what we're going to do. And based upon the decision that we make, we will either reap benefits or suffer consequences that's already preordained and predetermined. Preach Robert Charles Scott. So, so when it comes to the sovereignty of God, I'm teaching good Bible and doctrine right now. You need to open up your Bibles and open up your notebook and take some notes because I'm getting ready to go real deep for a lot of us. Here it is. When it comes to the sovereignty of God, there are two things you must understand about the sovereignty of God. The first one is the freedom of God to act. 
The second one is the fulfillment of God's purposes. Freedom to act means that God is able to do as God chooses without God's choices being limited in any way by the actions of other beings or by circumstances. In other words, there is nothing and nobody who can stop the will of God when it comes to God's purposes. It means that what God decrees eventually comes to pass again no action by any other being and no circumstances can thwart God's will which is why I do my part when it comes to this election season you do your part when it comes to this election season uh, there are many people who want their candidate to win there are many people who are looking for their candidate to win there are many people who are under the assumption that based upon what candidate wins uh, that either this country is going to aspire for greater things or go back into a hell hole but I'm here to let you know that I have done my part and I hope you have done your part as far as voting you need to vote your vote does count. You need to vote. Uh, your vote does matter. You need to vote. Uh, you need to go and cast uh, your vote because your vote is important. Don't let anyone discourage you nor dissuade you if you haven't voted from going to the polls this Tuesday and casting your vote. Uh, but I want y'all to know, and I want you to hear me real well, that because God is sovereign, and because God is who God is, uh, I know I got a particular candidate. You may have a particular candidate, but I want you to know whatever candidate wins uh, is really uh, uh, lesser than the real ruler of our lives. Uh, what are you talking about, Pastor? This is what I want to let y'all know. Uh, 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 if Trump gets back in the White House, God is still on the throne. If Biden gets in the White House, God is still on the throne. All I am doing, all you are doing is either choosing the greater or the lesser of two evils. But I want you to know that the God we serve, uh, even when we We've done what we can. There is no president, no governor, no mayor, no city council, no county commissioner, no sheriff, no police officer, anybody that can thwart the will of God for our lives. Why? Because the God we serve is sovereign and the God we serve is in charge and the God we serve can take any negative, turn it into a positive and work it out on our behalf. Why? Because he is that kind of God. Let, let, let me tell y'all, you all looking at me kind of suspect, but this is what Paul is addressing in this letter to the church at Rome. And, and I got to let you all know what was happening at Rome at the time that Paul wrote this letter. Here it is. Uh, Paul is trying to explain to his followers at the church uh, at Rome, you had, you had Jewish Christians who started the church at Rome. There was a crazy emperor by the name of Claudius who had driven the Jews underground. So therefore, the Roman church is an underground church that is now comprised mostly of Gentiles until Claudius died and his edict against the Jews had become repealed. Jews and Gentiles, though, had different cultural expressions of their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had to address a church that was caught up with tensions between two valid cultural expressions of Christian faith. What the church at Rome needed was diversity training and cross-cultural sensitivity. Paul was letting the Jewish readers know that without Jesus, they did not have eternal life. Just like the Gentiles without Jesus did not have eternal life. However, the issues with the Jews were that the, all the Jewish people were saved by God's grace and believed that since they were Jews, they were good. The Jewish Christians uh, recognized that grace uh, came through none other than Jesus Christ. So their problem was, I get it that we are Jews and we are open and we have the grace of God available to us because of Jesus Christ. But what about them Gentiles? 
how can they have access to the grace of God? How can they as Gentiles have access to Jesus Christ? These were Jews who did not believe it was possible for anybody outside of the Jewish race to have a relationship with God. But Paul was letting them know and reminding us that all people come to God on the same terms, no matter what race, ethnicity, religious, social, political, educational, or socioeconomic background. Jesus alone is the answer to all of humanity's ills. And that's why Paul said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This means there are no exemptions when it comes to sin. That's why Paul stresses that you and I have to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus. Our relationship with God has nothing to do with fame or fortune, birth order or social status, degrees or pedigree. You and I have to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus to be made right with God, the creator of the cosmos. However, if I don't have Christ, I really can't have a relationship with God because Jesus says, I and my father are one. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl can come to the father except by me. The problem in this text is the rejection of Jesus by the Jewish people seems to be the unthinkable and to actually mess up God's will so God's purposes for Israel have not been achieved. Now, let me tell you something that this text has often been improperly interpreted. Many have thought that this text is in reference to individual salvation. But it's not. Paul said that the Jewish rejections of Jesus has not messed up God's plans at all. As a matter of fact, this is going to bless you. Rejection fits the patterns found in the Old Testament and reveals a purpose more complex than believers can ever imagine. Now, you got to know that this chapter is not dealing with individual predestination to salvation as some has thought. In, in other words, it is not about God already preordaining some to be saved and others to be lost. It has nothing to do with that. Why? Because God still gives us the choice. The absolute freedom of God to act need not limit our freedom to accept or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm doing some good teaching, ain't I? Am I teaching y'all real good? Let, let me take y'all even deeper. Uh, 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 our freedom to choose whoo, does not in any way limit or stop the sovereignty of God. For God has freely decided to extend the gospel to all Ooh, and permits all of us to respond as we so desire. So God's sovereignty, preach up in here, Robert Charles Scott, is not hindered or hampered by our choice to accept or reject what God is dropping on us. But God has already factored. I'm getting ready to bless. Uh, uh, I'm getting ready to bless maybe about 75 of y'all that are watching us. God has already factored in our stupidity in his sovereignty. So even when we act stupid, his purpose still will come to pass. Uh, just like the failure of Israel to believe is not God's failure, but Israel's failure. You're, you're, you're denying Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior ain't God's failure. That's your choice. But you got to understand that there are some predetermined consequences predicated upon the choice that you make. When people dismiss Christ, it ain't God's fault. It's their fault. 
In other words, God ain't going to make you do anything when it comes to a relationship with God. God does not have you walking around like a dangling robot, moving to every whim and way of what God wants you to do. Because if that was the case, you wouldn't wind up in half of the mess you got yourself in anyhow. However, you can't talk about destiny and purpose unless you're connected to the God of destiny and purpose. Some years ago, uh, the Miami Mass Choir just sing this song and I can imagine that uh, St. Paul may have sung this song back in the day. What God has for me, it is for me. What God has for me, it is for me. I know without a doubt that God will bring me out. What God has for me, it, it is for me. And that's a beautiful song. But we got to be careful about going around saying what God has for me, it is for me. Because guess what? Getting ready to mess up your theology. Guess what? Uh, these words cannot be applied to those who don't have relationship with the God of the cosmos. Uh, who orders our steps, who forms our purposes, and who designs our destiny. So, so how can I get? How, how, how can I get all that, that God has for me. How, how can I get all that God has for me? This is the mantra that Paul was trying to get his Jewish sisters and brothers to understand. And, 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 and it's right here in the text. I, I want to submit, in order to get all that God has for you, you got to, first of all, understand that God, regardless of your choice, will always be faithful to God's word. God will always be faithful to God's word. We see that in verses 6 through 8 as God uh, moves throughout the history of Israel and interacts in the affairs of human history. It was because God has a divine agenda to bring God's purpose to pass regardless of our missteps and mishaps. God was letting Israel know that regardless of what Israel does or does not do, God ultimately is going to have God's way. God wants to reclaim, recapture, redeem, and renew a busted, broken, baffled humanity. But what I love about God is that even when we're not faithful, even when we have not dotted every I, even when we have not crossed every T, we got to know that God will keep God's word. God can do anything but fail. Let me say that again. God can do anything but fail. Because if God failed, then God would not be God. As a matter of fact, failure ain't even part of God's vocabulary. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So as my word goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it out. Even, check this out, even when you willfully refuse to respond to the word of God, the failure ain't on the word. The failure is on you. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. This is your responsibility and accountability to accept the seed that is being dropped on your path. And either you can kick the seed to the curb or you can let it go deep and saturate your heart. I need you to understand that there was no other nation that was prepared to receive the Messiah than Israel. Israel had the favor of God. Israel had the blessing of God. Israel had the promises of God. Israel was part of the lineage that God had formed for them. Israel experienced the mercy of God. And yet, when you look at Israel's history, Israel always acted a plum fool when it came to God. Uh, they kept turning their backs on God. They kept worshiping these idol gods. And at times, they just totally disregarded all ten of the commandments of God. They did all that. Now, if I were, if it were me, I'm speaking in the subjunctive mood, if it were me, and if I were God, I would have kicked Israel to the curb about 6,000 years ago. 
I wouldn't say, see you, don't want to be you. But even when Israel messed up, God kept on showing up. Uh, even when Israel worshipped out of God, God kept up showing up. And this is what God would do. Uh, Israel uh, would come to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, we good. We sorry. We want to be right with you. God would deliver them from their troubles. They'll worship God a little while. Then they'll go right back, right back to these idol gods and find themselves getting in trouble with God. And then God will remove God's protection from them and then they'll come back and repent. It was like wash, rinse, repeat. Notice what God kept on doing. Why? Because God kept on delivering them because God had made a promise, a covenant with them that he would be their God even when they weren't his people. Preach up in here, Robert Charles Scott. How many people have missed what God had for them because they did not respond to the word of God? How many of you have lived an unfulfilled reality, unproductive lives, misguided directions, all because you did not take God at his word. Even when a person willfully refuses to respond, the failure ain't in the promises of God. The failure ain't in the word of God. But the failure is in you who disregard the word, who disregard the promise, who disregards the covenant. David was the one who said, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Your word is a light unto my pathway. If I want to know what my destiny is and what God has purposed for me, then I got to understand and the faithfulness of God as explained and expounded in his word. We got too many people who want God, but they don't want his word. You can't have God if you ain't got his word. And as long as there's a Bible, there has been those who don't even pick up the Bible to read except when they're in trouble. Or you keep a big old Bible about this thick on your coffee table in the living room to make people think you're super religious. But I have discovered, Minister Erica, that even studying the Bible and knowing the Bible does not make me right with God. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. I'm getting ready to mess up. Everybody that's watching me on the virtual platform, I'm getting ready to mess y'all up. Studying the Bible, knowing the Bible, quoting the Bible does not make me right with God. It is only when I obey the Bible, <laughs> when, when, when I do what is written in the good book, that I'm able to appreciate the power and the purpose of God's word. If you want to see God's word succeed in your life, if you want to experience the power of the word of God, if you want to uh, uh, see the blessings that come from the word of God, treat Bible as though it is what it claims to be. That is uh, the infallible word of God from the almighty God. In other words, not only do you need to read it, not only do you need to study it, not only do you need to understand it, not only do you need to pray it, but by God you need to live it. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. You need to live that word and let that word become the transformation transforming catalyst as far as your reality is concerned the reason why we got so many weak Christians and weak disciples and weak St. Paulites is because we don't live the word even though we've heard the word but I dare you right now if you put the word into action I believe I got about seven I'll make eight that will testify the word of God will make a difference in your life Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the skin of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that in due season bring forth its fruit. The word of God still has power to transform your life. Let me, let me, let me, uh, let me move on uh, because I want you to understand that, that, that if you want to get what God has for you, you must understand that God's promises takes priority over genetics. <laughs> uh, it's right there in verses 9 through 11. God's priority takes place over genetics. When you think about destiny, you can't let societal influences place a limit on what God has purpose for your life. This is Israel's story. 
And when we look at Israel according to our human standards, God had no reason to choose them as people of promise. Wasn't nothing special about Israel. Their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were nothing but a bunch of dirty nomads in the desert. They were nothing more than a family that had a bunch of dysfunctional issues. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were jacked up from the flow up. Every time you turn, they were in some mess that they created. But God chose them. God selected them. And regardless of their stupidity, God kept his word. God basically said, if I could put it in Robert Scott's language, I will be your God. You're going to be my people. And it's not because of anything you, Israel, have done. I have just taken the initiative to hang out with you because that's what I want to do. But I'm going to use you, Israel, to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Because what I have for the human race is going to come through you, Israel. And when it happens, you will not be able to take the credit because you didn't do anything. It's my initiative. Israel had nothing going for itself but a divine purpose that they would be great. Now, watch this. How does this apply to my reality? Real easy. When you look back over your life, when you look back over your reality, there are those who have to testify that you knew the hand of God was on your life for a purpose. Am I talking to anybody right now? See, see, some of you, some of us had a good education. Some of us came from a two-parent household where there was a mother and a father. Some of us had siblings who all had the same mama and daddy. Some of us were able to go to college and, and even get advanced degrees. Some of us were able to graduate from college and get a good job and have connections that helped us to get ahead. Jared Kushner, uh, uh, don't hate the player, hate, hate the game. God is to be praised and we should not get mad because there are those who had all their ducks in a row. When we look at them, we say in our minds, they're supposed to do well. But some of them don't do well. Some of them don't make the connection. Some of them don't rise like cream to the crop. Some of them don't make it, even though they had all of those advantages. However, there are those. There are those who barely finished high school, came from a single-parent home, where our siblings had different fathers, got caught up in the vicious violence of the hood. Hustling became our game and pimping our fame. We shucked and jived, we hemmed and hawed our way through life. We're supposed to be either dead or in a jail cell right now. And when folks look at you, according to their standards, God ain't supposed to be able to do anything with you. However, somewhere you got your life turned around and you're doing better than they had expected. According to certain people, you ain't supposed to be alive. According to certain people, you ain't supposed to be in the church. According to certain people, you ain't supposed to be preaching. According to certain people, you ain't supposed to be teaching. According to certain people, you ain't supposed to be singing in the choir. According to certain people, you ain't supposed to be sharing the word of God. According to certain people, you should not be serving in the church. Why? Because you ain't come from the right family and you don't have the right hookup and you ain't got the right connections and you don't have the right human pedigree. But that's when you have to let somebody know. You know what? You are exactly right. You are on target. I ain't come from the right neighborhood. I didn't have the right connections. May not have finished college. Parents may not have been married. But there's one piece of the equation you left out when you tried to define the essence of my business. God stepped in and I chose God to make the difference in my life. Let me it's 12 o'clock. I need to get out of here. I've held y'all too long, uh, but I need to drop this on y'all. You, 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 you must understand that finally, um, if you're going to get what God has for you, 
it will not take place until there's proper spiritual alignment. <laughs> Let me say it again. Uh, if you want to get what God has for you, it's not going to take place until there's proper spiritual alignment. This is what I've really been trying to get to after I've said everything I've said. There is something about destiny that all of us have to understand. Your desire, Reverend Peyton, is not the same as destiny. And there are times when our desire can mess up our destiny. Uh-huh. Yeah. That there are times when our desire will not allow for us to make spiritual alignment. Paul said, for they're not... For they are not all Israel who are Israel, nor are they all children, because they're the seed of Abraham. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, but not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as seed. Huh? In other words, becoming spiritually aligned with God and the purposes of God has nothing to do with your earthly or human achievements but it has everything to do with your willingness to say yes to God this is a major shift that Paul is taking because Paul is saying everybody who's a physical or blood descendant of Abraham don't have access to the promise that God has intimated divine favor ah, has nothing to do with your birth order or your lineage. Divine favor has everything to do with the grace of God. That's why he says in this last verse when he said, Jacob, I've loved. Esau, I've hated. And he did tell Rebecca that when she was carrying those fraternal twins in her womb, that the older will serve the younger. Now, now, I got to drop something on y'all because when you read this text uh, and you see uh, Jacob, I've loved that Esau, I've hated, you will erroneously conclude that God uh, couldn't stand Esau. That is not what the text meant. That's why I want to take this little time before I serve y'all communion or we take communion to help you to understand what God just did. God is not saying, I hate Esau in the sense of disliking Esau. Or I hate Esau in the sense of not loving Esau. What, what God is saying is that I'm making a shift in where I'm placing them as far as destiny is concerned. Teach Robert Scott. The one who was the younger, the trickster, Jacob, will now have preeminence over Esau even though Esau was the older and should have gotten the greater blessing and the greater destiny. So it is not God saying, I can't stand Esau because Esau was blessed as well. But God said, I got some more stuff that's going to come through Jacob's lineage because I favor Jacob and I place him in a prominent and preeminent position over Esau. In other words, Jacob now takes first position and Esau takes second position. And, and, and he contends, if you want to get all that, 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 that I have for you, uh, it, it ain't going to be based upon what school you go to. It ain't going to be based upon what seminary you graduate from. It's not going to be based upon how much money you have. It's going to be based upon your connection with God. Watch this. Through Jesus Christ. Um, I've held y'all too long. Let me, let me just say that's, that's like the parent who's a Christian. Your child is an atheist. And, 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 and you tell your child, you can do whatever you want to because I'm saved and, and I'm good for you. But it doesn't work like that because God ain't obligated to save your atheistic child. So... You got to help your atheistic child one day come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Because when you think that you're the one that can get your child into heaven, 
you barely going to get in on your own merits. <laughs> Uh, 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 as we said back in Mississippi, every tub has to sit on its own bottom. Just because you, mama, you, daddy may be saved doesn't mean that God is going to give you a pass. You got to know who Jesus is for yourself. If there's going to be a real realization of destiny, I cannot get what God has for me through the things of this world. Because I've discovered the things of this world are temporary. They're fading fast. Uh, what God has for me is not connected to a thing or to a church or to a religion. It's connected to a person. And that destiny that God has for me, what God has for me, is connected to none other than Jesus Christ. I can't get what God has for me until I get in proper spiritual alignment by accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and by obeying the word of Jesus Christ. In, in other words, destiny has never been about things. Destiny is not about a philosophy of life. Destiny is not about who I'm going to marry. Destiny is not about what kind of job you're going to have. Destiny is not about where you're going to go to school. Destiny it's not about what you're going to wear today. Destiny is not about who you're going to kick it with. No. Destiny is about nothing more and nothing less than the person of Jesus Christ. And, and if I can get hooked up with Jesus, that if I can make a connection with him as Lord and Savior, uh, then my life will come together. Uh, uh, if I can connect with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then I can straighten out the hell in my life. Uh, I don't know who's watching me right now, uh, but if you don't have Jesus in your life, if you don't have Jesus uh, uh, as far as Lord and Savior, you'll never reach uh, your destiny. It, it, it reminds me, George, it reminds me, George, of a story about a surgeon and a little boy that had heart problems. And uh, that little boy went to the doctor one day. This surgeon was known as one of the best surgeons in this area when it came to cardiac procedures. And uh, this little boy uh, and his parents were in the doctor's office, this cardiac surgeon's office, and they were having a, a conversation with him. And the surgeon said, tomorrow morning, uh, I'm going to open up your heart. And the little boy said, and you'll find Jesus there. The surgeon looked up uh, uh, with an annoyed look on his face and said, well, I'm going to cut your heart open and see how much damage is done. And a little boy said, and when you open up my heart, you're going to find Jesus there. Uh, the surgeon looked at the parents who sat quietly and the surgeon told the parents, uh, I'm going to see how much damage has been done. I'm going to make an assessment uh, on your heart. And then I'm going to sew your heart and your chest back up. Uh, and then we're going to figure out what the next steps will be. Uh, and then the little boy said, but you're going to find Jesus in my heart. Uh, because the Bible says uh, he lives uh, in my heart. Um, the surgeon finally had enough. Uh, he said, I tell you what I'm going to find in your heart. I'm going to find damaged tissues. I'm going to find damaged muscle. I'm going to find low blood supply. I'm going to find weakened vessels. And I will find out how I can make you well. And the little boy said, you're going to find Jesus in my heart. Because Jesus lives in my heart. Well, that surgeon got up and dismissed the parents from his office. And then the surgeon took notes in his office. And he recorded the notes from the surgery. And this is what he found. He found a damaged aorta. He found a damaged pulmonary vein. He found widespread muscle degeneration. He saw all of this 
in the heart of the little boy uh, and said there's no hope for a transplant, uh, no hope for a cure, uh, no hope to get well. Uh, and then the doctor said, uh, this is going to be what I have to do. Uh, we're going to give him painkillers uh, and bed rest. Uh, and here was the prognosis. Uh, the doctor said, death in a year's time he stopped his recorder but there was more to be said he said why why God did you have to do this you put that little boy here you allow for that little boy to be caught up in this pain you curse that little boy to die an early death if you're so sovereign and if you're so great and if you're so good, why, God, did you allow for this to happen? But then the Lord spoke to that surgeon and said, that little boy is one of my lambs. And he wasn't meant to be part of your flock for long because he belonged to my flock and will be with me one day forever and ever but here in my flock he's gonna feel no pain here in my flock he won't need any medicine here in my flock he'll be able to smile all the time here in my flock he'll have the comfort you can't imagine and his parents one day is gonna join him and they will know the peace that goes beyond all understanding and my flock will continue to grow well the surgeon had tears flowing down his eyes but his anger got a little hotter the surgeon said to God you're the one who created this little boy and you're the one who created his heart he's gonna be dead in a few months why God allow for this to happen and the Lord said this little boy this little lamb shall return back to my flock for he has done what he's supposed to do I did not put him in your flock to lose him but I put him in your flock to retrieve another lost lamb the surgeon began to weep and then when the surgeon sat beside the boy's bed after his surgery the boy's parents sat across from him the boy awoke from his recovery and asked the surgeon when you cut open my heart what did you find and the surgeon said I found Jesus in your heart good morning St. Paul may the Lord bless you real good but I have discovered that my destiny ain't connected to who I am what I have what church I pastor but my destiny is connected to the one who has given me health, life, and strength. My destiny is connected to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. My destiny is connected to the resurrection and the life. My destiny is connected to the great I am heaven a rock in a weary land my destiny is connected to the one who died on an old rugged cross nearly 2,000 years ago he died until the sun refused to shine he died until the moon had a celestial hemorrhage and dripped away in blood he died until the stars fell from their silvery socket he died until the earth vomited up those who had been dead he died until the Roman soldier had to admit surely good God almighty surely this must be the son of the living God they placed him y'all in a borrowed tomb 
she stayed in that tomb all night Friday night he stayed in that tomb all day Saturday he stayed in that tomb all night Saturday night but can somebody say in good Baptist fashion early Your destiny, St. Paul, your destiny ain't a what. <laughs> your destiny is a who. Your, your, your destiny ain't a thing. Your destiny is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. You don't have Jesus, you ain't got a destiny. You don't have Jesus, the great things that God has will not come to pass. It's your choice. God's sovereignty, God's purpose ain't thwarted by the choice that you and I make. Uh, you have the opportunity to participate in everything, in every blessing and benefit that God wants to bring to pass in your life. You mean I do? Yeah, you do by saying yes to Jesus. So what I want to do is just take this opportunity, lead you in prayer. And as I lead you in prayer, uh, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're watching us on Facebook after this prayer, you want Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you want your destiny, type in salvation. When our digital ministers will reach out to you or email us at connect at spbcnc.org. If you want to join the church, just type in on Facebook, connect. We'll reach out to you. Or you could call us on the phone. Call us on the phone. Leave a message. Leave a phone number where we can contact you and let you know so we can let you know what next steps will be. It's really that simple. We are receiving people online we're receiving people virtually so let me lead you in this prayer prayer of new life a prayer of destiny <laughs> yeah a prayer of destiny connected with the one who who is and who wants to be your destiny all heads bowed all eyes closed let's go to the Lord in prayer repeat after me God I want the things you want for me and I realize is not based upon what I have materially, but it's based upon what you've given in the person of Jesus Christ. I want Jesus to be Lord and Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. Help me be the person you want me to be. At this time, God, I want to thank you for the gift of salvation. I want to thank you for getting me to my destiny. In the name of Jesus, I pray this prayer. 
Amen. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer, you meant that prayer, you're sincere about that prayer, destiny is yours. Jesus Christ is yours. You're not saved based upon your works. You're saved based upon your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But now that you accepted Christ, if you're serious about accepting Christ, then you need to connect with the church. I would love to be your pastor. You got a whole bunch of people that are watching us on Facebook who are part of the St. Paul family. A whole lot of people who are watching us virtually, technologically, who are part of our family. Our church roles consist of, at least the last time I checked, 5,400 plus folks. You can join us and we can expand the kingdom of God. I would love to have you to connect with us. So if you would follow those prompts that you see online or what I've shared with you. And by tomorrow, by tomorrow, by 5 o'clock tomorrow, someone will reach out to you. Someone will call you and let you know what next steps are. Amen. Well, listen, we're getting ready to move forward with the ordinance of communion, and we're going to do this real quick. We're going to do this real quick. We're going to do this real quick. And um, as we go forward with the ordinance of communion, I'm going to ask that if you would, at this time, if you're at home, get your elements. If you don't have any communion elements from the church, get you some unsalted crackers, get you some grape juice or red wine. Um, I'm not going to tell you just get any kind of juice because the Bible didn't say it was apple juice. And the Bible didn't say it was orange juice. It was wine. Grape juice is a derivative or a precursor to wine. So we use grape juice. But if you don't have grape juice, you use red wine. Not white wine. Red. The blood wasn't white. It was red. <laughs> Amen, 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 amen. Come on, deacons, come on, deacons. Let me. And as we prepare to serve the Lord's table, prepare to serve the Lord's Supper. Uh, it is so great to see all of you who are watching us virtually. We thank God for you. Amen. Amen. We thank God for you. I would have had these passed out earlier and in this moment for those that are sharing with us, that's how we're going to proceed whenever we do this again. Amen. For those that are watching us and for those that are checking us out online as far as telephone call is concerned, we want everybody to be engaged at this moment as we prepare to partake the Lord's meal. As we prepare to partake of the Lord's meal, let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come right now and we thank you for what you did through your son, Jesus Christ, as he became our substitute on the hill of Calvary. His atoning death, his redeeming death has made this possible. And as in our imagination, we go back nearly 2,000 years ago to what happened in that upper room where he transformed the meal of the Jews into the meal of the church. We thank you, oh God. And we pray right now that you will allow for us to partake of this meal in a reverential, worshipful way where you're honored and where we're reminded. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Nearly 2,000 years ago, your Lord, my Lord, your Savior, my Savior, was in the upper room with his 12 disciples when he took a loaf of bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body that's going to be given for thee. Let us eat. Likewise, he took a common cup, he lifted it toward heaven, and he gave thanks to his Father. And afterwards, he passed that cup around, and he told his disciples, drink ye all of it. For this is the blood of the new covenant that's going to be shed for the remissions of sin. Let us drink at this time. Amen. The Bible says afterwards, they sang to him. They went out into the Mount of Olives. We shall do likewise. Amen. As we prepare to leave, my brothers and my sisters, please don't forget, vote if you have not on this Tuesday. Please vote, please vote, please vote, as if your life depends upon it, because guess what? It does. Amen. 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 We're getting ready to leave from the sanctuary of the St. Paul Church. I want to close you out in a benedictory prayer. So as we prepare to leave out, let us bow our heads in prayer. God, we thank you for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, our spirits have experienced in this place. Thank you for the destiny that is none other than Jesus Christ. And God, as we leave from this sanctuary, as we leave from this virtual congregation, as we leave from church online, but never from your presence, keep us in your sovereign care. We're one day closer, God, to coming back together as family in the sanctuary but until then god in your own way through the power of your spirit keep us connected empower us to call and check on each other and not unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the presence of his glory with all exceeding joy to only wise god our savior be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forevermore and the people in the church and on screen say what amen God loves you, so do I. God loves you even more. I miss you all immensely. Continue to pray for each other and continue to pray for your pastor. We'll see you all soon. God bless. Don't forget to check us out on our prayer call on Wednesday night as well as our first Thankful Thursday service.